Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, January 6th, 2023, the 716th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, to the merch site, to the writing, and to the social media on linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So apologies for not putting up a podcast episode yesterday. I am going to give it a shot and try to make up for that this weekend. We will see how it goes. I was on an eight hour long marathon live stream covering the speaker of the house race with John Harold and Brian Lupo 
and we just had a good old time. And there was no stopping. It was a very big news day, a very big event, and it's still going. In fact, the reason the show is late today is because I did another live stream with those guys. Patrick Gunnels joined us for a bit. That live stream was about four hours long, and we're not even close to done yet. The house has adjourned until 10 p.m. Eastern tonight, and apparently they want to do whatever they're about to do in the dark of night and undercover. And it makes me immediately think back to two years ago, January 6th, 2021. And by the way, happy anniversary for the very violent insurrection two years ago today. If you recall, what was supposed to happen that day is there was supposed to be two hours of debate in each body of Congress in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, two hours of debate for each state where there was an objection. There would be an objection. The members of the Senate head over to the Senate. The members of the House stay in the House. They all debate for two hours and then they come on back and they do that for six states. That was the plan. That plan was disrupted because of the very violent insurrection that didn't quite go according to plan because Donald Trump delayed the start of his speech for over an hour. So it threw the timing of the insurrection off quite a bit and made it look even more obviously staged than it would have been otherwise. So after they fled from the very violent rioters who were staying mostly within the velvet ropes inside the Capitol. They returned in the evening, and rather than having two hours of debate for each state, they just had two hours of debate total, which were pretty much a waste. And the national television audience, the national news audience, largely ignored it because, as I said, it happened at night. So it's pretty clear what that tactic is, and it does seem to me like they're using it again today. I'm very interested to see what happens when the House comes back into session this evening. Now, maybe I'm just a little too tuned up on that stuff, and I could be wrong. Maybe it'll be totally normal, and maybe nothing will happen between now and then that will provide a big news story, some major distraction, a false flag, whatever, something to reaffirm the false January 6th narrative. We shall see. But let's discuss where we're at with the whole House Speaker race. Kevin McCarthy has now failed to achieve the votes needed in the 13th round. So we are going to a 14th round at least, which is expected tonight, but they may just come back and immediately adjourn if they have not reached a deal. Throughout the voting today, Republicans who were with the 20 dissenters have begun flipping back to McCarthy as a result of negotiations that they've been having last night and this morning. In the first round of voting, we lost Dan Bishop, Josh Brakeen, Mike Cloud, Andrew Clyde, Byron Donalds. He flipped and voted for Kevin McCarthy after... Byron Donalds was receiving votes to be speaker, including voting for himself as speaker. 
Anna Paulina Luna flipped, Mary Miller flipped, Ralph Norman flipped, Scott Perry flipped, Chip Roy and Keith Self both flipped, as did Andy Ogles and Paul Gosar. Victoria Sparts moved from the present to McCarthy column. And then in the next round, Andy Harris moved from being a dissenter into the McCarthy column. Now, almost all of those people, when they announced their vote for Kevin McCarthy, gave some short explanation about how it was due to negotiations or an act of good faith. And we will have to wait to see what all that means and what might be in this deal. There have been plenty of rumors about what's in the deal. But regardless of what's in the deal, it is a little strange to see these people flip. We were doing the live stream. A lot of people in the chat were upset, which I absolutely understand because we are all on the side of not wanting to see Kevin McCarthy be the next Speaker of the House. And the kind of unfortunate part is that we don't really know at this point what their motivation for flipping was. And the reason for that is because they haven't told the American people exactly what their goals are, and they haven't gotten the consent of the American people or their constituents to go forward with this deal. They have made it clear over the last few days that they are opposing Kevin McCarthy because they are representing their constituents in doing so, and their constituents don't want to see Kevin McCarthy be the next speaker. So it's pretty hard to go from I'm representing my constituents by voting against McCarthy to I am now voting for McCarthy because of these negotiations that we've been having when the people aren't privy to what's being negotiated on. And I understand this is a bit of a hard position for these representatives. They may well have plenty of constituents that don't want to see all of this happening, probably people who aren't particularly informed about this process or about who Kevin McCarthy is, probably people who are watching the mainstream media and being emotionally affected by the mainstream media narratives about how this is embarrassing or bad or it's going to hurt investigations or the ability of the House to do its business. They think Kevin McCarthy is the overwhelming favorite because of the number of votes he's getting so far, and they just want to see the process end. So they might be representing their constituents in some way on that level. But it would be awfully nice to see what this great package is they're talking about that's going to make them switch over and vote for McCarthy in the 11th round and 12th round and 13th round. But there's another dynamic worth understanding as well. And that's that if you are having these negotiations and the 20 members are negotiating with McCarthy and there are holdouts who aren't pleased with the deal in place right now, then the 20 may say, we're not all the way there. There are 14 of us who are on board at this point. And if you would like us to go out and vote for you and show the country that we are negotiating in an act of good faith, we will go out and vote for you. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get over the finish line. And it doesn't mean that our votes are now just yours that you can leverage against the other members of the 20. Do I know that's what's happening? No, I don't. But I suspect that it might be. And so in that case, going forward through these rounds, knowing that Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes to win, I don't actually mind them flipping in an act of good faith 
to show the country, hey, we're not just being obstinate here. We are trying to achieve certain goals for the American people, even though we haven't heard what all of those goals are. And we are going to put that out there and we will see how people react. We'll see what else we get done in order to get this across the finish line. If indeed that's a possibility, I'm not sure it is. But again, knowing the machinations of this body and knowing Kevin McCarthy's past, it will be interesting to see what he might be able to pull off or how this situation might be manipulated, knowing that they're not coming back to vote until 10 p.m. tonight. There are some people in that body who are very old, in their mid-80s. Will they be present tonight to vote? Will some of the older Democrats just take the night off? Oh, it's too late for us. And thus lower the number of votes needed for Kevin McCarthy to get across the finish line? It's possible. At this point, anything is possible. So let's talk generally about what we've seen over the last few days. One thing that we've seen is a body of representatives who are, by and large, incredibly immature. And I was watching the other night as they went through the motions and they make their little speeches and everyone tries to make a special show of themselves. They give standing ovations for various lines said in nomination speeches. We've now seen 13 nomination speeches for Hakeem Jeffries. We've seen 13 nomination speeches for Kevin McCarthy. And throughout all of those speeches, we get these applause lines and the Democrat establishment, which is all of the Democrats, will rise and clap for nice things said about Hakeem Jeffries, regardless of their truth value, because we're hearing nonsense about January 6th, just things that are factually absurd, including from people like Jim Clyburn, who is supposed to be this very serious, revered man on the Democrat side, but is really just the guy who controls the election fraud machine on the Democrat side in South Carolina. And we've seen all sorts of things be said about Kevin McCarthy. We've seen establishment Republicans talk about all the good things Kevin McCarthy did, which were actually things that Donald Trump did that Kevin McCarthy is now receiving credit for. In fact, the Democrats have even talked about things that Donald Trump did and tried to take credit for them for themselves, like things like insulin prices. And what's remarkable is that during the nomination speeches for anyone nominated by the dissenters, they actually mention things that the American people want, things on behalf of the people. And there is virtually no applause for any of those things because it's been decided by the Republican establishment and all of the Democrats that no one should be applauding for anything that might make the dissenters look good. Because, of course, the public show of this whole thing is that people who have been called by not only the media, but their colleagues this week, terrorists, infidels, rebels, insurgents are portrayed as the enemy. And of course, they're not the enemy of the establishment. They're the enemy of the American people. They're the enemy of Congress. They're preventing Congress from doing the serious work of the American people. And the very concerned anchors on the cable news are 
worried that the American people are paying their salaries while they're just not getting anything done. You see, this doesn't count as getting anything done. Naming post offices counts as getting stuff done for the American people. But this, this doesn't count. Yesterday, we got the narrative that this delay is actually a threat to national security. Ted Liu, the communist from California, who is very good friends with Adam Schiff and a man named Ed Buck, who was a Democratic Party bundler. He was a big time fundraiser in Los Angeles. You should look up Ed Buck and see what it is he got in trouble for and then see if you might be able to find anything that links him and Adam Schiff and Ted Lieu. But here's what Ted Lieu is concerned about. He tweeted this out yesterday in the afternoon. The chaos caused by the inability of Kevin McCarthy and Republicans to govern is rapidly becoming serious. No member elect can be briefed on anything that contains any classified information. We can't approve or deny weapons sales, hold committee hearings or conduct oversight. Interesting, isn't it, that he's very concerned about being able to get classified information and approve weapons sales. These are Ted Lieu's priorities. This is why the process must come to an end. You have to wonder what it is they think they're missing. More handouts for Ukraine. More special intel from the CIA and Five Eyes that they can then leak to the press to create all new narratives for themselves. I actually do wonder what they had planned today to celebrate the anniversary of January 6th. I wonder if being in session and having to continue voting for the speaker might have disrupted that. And it's worth wondering at this point, because we have seen how these people operate, if they were hoping to be able to get intel and then leak that to the media about how the domestic terrorists, you know, those MAGA extremists, had hatched some vile plot for January 6th that they were going to execute today. You think they wouldn't have loved? To have that story. So we're told that it is a national security threat that this process is still ongoing. It doesn't seem to be that threatening, to be perfectly honest. What are the real national security threats? Well, I would suggest that stolen elections is a national security threat. I would suggest that having an illegitimate president pretending to lead our country is a national security threat. I would suggest that having a whole bunch of illegitimate congressmen begging for this process to end so that they can be sworn in and assume power that they are not entitled to is a national security threat. I would say that funding Nazi battalions in Ukraine on behalf of the global regime is a national security threat. I would suggest that leaving our southern border open so that we can be invaded by millions and millions of people many of whom we have no idea who they are, I would say that's a national security threat. I don't think taking a few days or even a few weeks to figure out who's going to be Speaker of the House is a national security threat. But we can see over the course of this week that the narratives used to explain why this process must be completed as fast as possible have continued changing, which means that none of them were actually true and it's extraordinarily likely that the underlying purpose of creating these narratives in the first place, which is to convince the American people that this process 
must be sped along also isn't true. This process does not need to be sped along. However long this process takes is going to be just fine. In fact, I think all of this is very productive. I think it's good that the American people are seeing this. Matt Rosendale mentioned in his speech yesterday that this is the most debate the House has seen in two years. And he's right. Most of the time, members stayed away from the House. They voted by proxy, which Nancy Pelosi put in place, you know, because COVID. I'm happy to have this go on as long as possible, because every time there is a nomination speech by the dissenters, they talk about how Congress actually works, which is a great contrast for us to the people nominating Kevin McCarthy on the Republican establishment side and to the Democrat nomination speeches, all of which are totally unserious and inauthentic and nothing that the American people can actually connect to. Now, naturally, there is a massive portion of this country that is not watching this as it actually happens, which means that the pieces they're seeing are little clips presented by cable news which of course is the intent of these speeches, provide some clips that support the narrative the news media wants to communicate to the American public. And while it was wonderful to see Matt Gates nominate Donald John Trump officially yesterday, his nomination speech for Jim Jordan today was even better. This is how things have been ramped up over the last few days. There are people in that group of 20 dissenters who have really gone after the dysfunctional Congress and the corruption in the Republican establishment. And I love seeing it. This is Matt Gates. The clip's about five minutes long, and I'm going to let it play through because it is really that good. To submit a name for nomination for the position of Speaker of the House. The gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Madam Speaker. My colleague from California, Mr. Garcia, knows the incredibly high regard I hold him in. He is a patriot. I deeply, deeply admire him. But I must take some exception with some of the comments he made in his nomination of Mr. McCarthy. First, he said that Mr. McCarthy has earned the position. You only earn the position of Speaker of the House if you can get the votes. Mr. McCarthy doesn't have the votes today. He will not have the votes tomorrow. And he will not have the votes next week, next month, next year. And so one must wonder, Madam Clerk, is this an exercise in vanity for someone who has done the math, taken the counts, and is putting this institution through something that absolutely is avoidable? My colleague, Mr. Garcia, did not say this, but many of my other Republican colleagues have. They believe that Mr. McCarthy has earned the position of Speaker of the House because he raised half a billion dollars to get Republicans elected. not to engage in personalities against other members of the House. Several believe that one earns the position of speaker by raising enormous sums of money, and there is no doubt that the individual that was nominated by Mr. Garcia is the LeBron James 
of special interest fundraising in this town. There is nobody better, but I would suggest that there are qualifications for speaker that are far more important. There are attributes that are far more important. Jim Jordan has those, and I am submitting his name for nomination at this time. I heard my colleague from California, Mr. Garcia, say that we seek pure selfless intent, and I could not agree more with that assessment. Mr. Jordan, indeed, is reflective of pure selfless intent. I don't know that the same can be said for the Republican alternative. Let's start with purity. Many of you have seen the reports that there are negotiations to determine whether or not on this side of the aisle there can be a deal, a meeting of the minds, a grand bargain that would allow us to proceed with the speakership. And I want all of my colleagues to know, regardless of your perspective on me, how impure some of those negotiations have gone. And I want the country to know. The principal goal of the people who are objecting to Mr. McCarthy on the Republican side is that we don't believe the rules of this place unlock the potential of all of the members to be able to cast votes on individual bills and to offer amendments on Appropriations Act. And we're also concerned about spending that has ballooned our debt and borrowed against the future generations of American citizens. And Mr. McCarthy said, well, goodness to the objectors, a lot of you want to be on the Oversight and Judiciary Committee, and you never submit your names to be on the Rules Committee or the Appropriations Committee. And so, gosh, if you'll get a list of folks who are willing to come early on, mon on fly-in days for rules and folks who are willing to take on the extra burden of our appropriators who work so hard, then I'll certainly work to do that. And so we endeavored in good faith, in pure good faith, to create that list. And then what did Mr. McCarthy do? He went out to the media and came to other members of the conference and said, see, they just want jobs for themselves. That is not pure. Selflessness. Selflessness is not selling shares of yourself to the lobby corps and then doing their bidding at the expense of the American people. But there certainly is intent. And it's an intent driven almost exclusively by personal ambition. And that ambition is paralyzing the House now. Madam Clerk, at this time, there is great trust in Mr. Jordan. And that's why I am nominating him. And there is insufficient trust in Kevin McCarthy. There are some who have been objecting to Mr. McCarthy who are working on perhaps changes to the rules, changes to circumstance that would convert the speakership from the great, awesome, powerful position it is now to more of a ceremonial position, almost akin to the speaker in the British House of Commons. Uh, I referred to it previously as a straitjacket that some of us were trying to construct with better rules and better personnel because we do not trust Mr. McCarthy with power because we know who he will use it for and we are concerned it will not be for the American people. We trust Jim Jordan. I nominate him and I'm going to vote for him. So there are some big moments in that speech and they're not all just about the things that Matt Gates said. You probably noticed about a minute or so in someone began yelling at Matt Gates and trying to yell over his speech and they called for order. That was a representative on the Republican side chiming in after Matt Gates mentioned that one of the reasons Kevin McCarthy was being given this position is because he raised half a billion dollars 
that he distributed to either congressmen or the friends of congressmen. And by friends, I mean most likely big Republican donors in those districts. That money gets spread around all over the place. When Gates mentioned that, a Republican member stood up and started yelling that that wasn't going to help get anyone over to his side. I mentioned before, we don't get the standing ovations. We don't get the applause when any of the members among the 20 on the dissenting side are talking about why this matters for the American people or talking about what is broken in Congress, including on the Republican side. No applause for any of that. And then Gates mentions an obvious example of establishment corruption, the amount of money being fed through Kevin McCarthy, half a billion dollars. And a Republican congressman throws a tantrum. What are you doing? Why are you telling the American people this? And why is that upsetting? If this is what the Congress is doing, shouldn't the people know? Why is it so bad that the people know how much money is being filtered through Kevin McCarthy? And now you have a hint into why the establishment and the Democrats want this process to end so quickly. They don't want more moments like that. Gates also said that selflessness is not selling shares of yourself to the lobby corps while pretending to do the work of the American people. And at that point, probably 20 or 30, maybe more Republican congressmen stood up and walked out from the House floor. That was their protest. Matt Gates is saying all these terrible things. What two things did they just protect there? Half a billion dollars flowing through Kevin McCarthy and the relationships of the establishment with lobbyists. That's what we're getting. And look at those two instances. A man jumps up to scream over Matt Gates, please protect the $500 million that flowed through this man that everyone wants to make Speaker of the House. Please protect the lobby corps. And it's always a grand display. It has been a grand display over and over and over and over and over again throughout this week. And of course, the people in the media would claim that it's the dissenters making the grand display. It's the people nominating the alternative candidates. They are making themselves the issue. They are making the grand display. It is selfish that they're going through this exercise, quote unquote, knowing that they're going to lose because, of course, Kevin McCarthy is the shoe in candidate. And within the false reality, we pretend that these dissenters are not actually expressing the will and the wants and the desires, the needs of the American people. They're just making a grand display. We are seeing who these people are. Now, there have been many moments this week where the House has been quite a bit more raucous than that. Democrats insulting Republicans, Republicans insulting Democrats, Democrats just constantly making a show of themselves because that's what they do. Again, we're talking about the establishment and the Democrats here, all of them deeply enmeshed in the party of false decorum. Everything is about image. Show everybody what I am. Look what I am. I'm this person that's doing this cutesy thing. Don't you all like the thing I'm doing? Look at me. And that was on display the most two nights ago when they were deciding to adjourn 
for the evening after having adjourned in the afternoon to come back in the evening. They adjourned Wednesday afternoon. They came back Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. and immediately voted to adjourn and adjourned. And the whole thing was chaos. They went through the vote. The vote ended. They weren't going to adjourn. And so then they gave five more minutes or so so that more members could cast their votes, hoping that it would get the yeses high enough, the yays, sorry, it would get it high enough so that they could adjourn. They just kept waiting and waiting. Then they offered for any member to switch their votes. And that's a common thing. But it's just funny because the timer ended. The vote said nay. And they just waited long enough for the vote to say yay. And it's just a series of constant outbursts from the people who are ostensibly elected to be the representative of the American people, of their own constituents. And by and large, all of these people are constantly acting like children, which is what you would expect from people deeply enmeshed in the party of false decorum. But this is a formal setting where you would expect that they might just act like congressmen instead. And again, I know the mainstream would say, well, it's the dissenters who are not taking this process seriously. That's not true. Their speeches have all been substantive and they are actively representing a constituency that we know exists across the country. There is not a big constituency of normal Americans who are just like, yeah, what we want is more Republican establishment and Democrat establishment. What we want is more uniparty working together. Yeah, go uniparty. Just get Kevin McCarthy in there and we can have another session just like the last session when Nancy Pelosi was there. So the dissenters are expected to uphold a standard that the rest of the Congress does not even pretend to uphold. It is like a bunch of children in there. And it actually got to the point where it seemed like a public school classroom all the children are all acting up and no one can get them under control because the regular teacher is not here today. It's a substitute teacher. And you know what happens when the substitute teacher is there? Well, spitballs just start flying across the room and people are passing notes and stealing each other's lunch. And then a fight breaks out in the corner and the substitute teacher gets very upset and tries to settle everybody down and they don't settle down. And the substitute teacher begins crying because she was just about to tell all the kids about their gender. So congratulations, America. Your Congress is a public school classroom being watched over by a substitute teacher. So we will see what happens this evening. It seems like they are trying to peel off another one or two of the six remaining dissenters. It looks like they are targeting Eli Crane. We will see what happens. Now, one of the tactics that we always get from the mainstream media when things aren't going their way is that they will create all sorts of ways to tell us that what's happening is actually going to hurt us. You see, the delay is going to make it so that we can't start our investigations into what happened at the border or the origin of the very deadly pandemic or anything about J6 or anything about vaccines. Or anything about the illegitimate president, Joe Biden, and his decades of criminal political corruption facilitated through his son, Hunter Biden. 
with extensive evidence on Hunter Biden's laptop. The investigations are going to be delayed and therefore nothing's ever going to happen. We're never going to get to the bottom of any of it. And we're going to have just a wasted two years. We are told we are missing out on the opportunity to have a check on Joe Biden's illegitimate power, as if the GOP establishment has given any indication they intend to do that since they've spent the last two years facilitating the passage of the illegitimate president's agenda on behalf of the global regime. And naturally, we are told that this delay is hurting most of all Donald Trump, our hero. We're part of the cult. Remember, we're supposed to do what Donald Trump says. And because we're not and the dissenters are not, that makes us wait. Hold on. We're a cult. We're supposed to do whatever Donald Trump says, but we're not doing what Donald Trump says. And a bunch of the politicians who we're told are the most MAGA are also not doing what Donald Trump says. So we're usually in a cult, but not this time. And hey, not on that whole thing about vaccines either. We weren't a cult then either. But the rest of the time, we are 100% in a Donald Trump led cult and we do whatever he says you know, except on these truly major things where we don't agree with him. And instead, we just stick with our own ideas and our own principles and don't do what he says, you know, like a, a cult. Well, sort of a cult. I mean, we still definitely are the cult people, right? It's not the it's not the other people. It's not those other people who go along and do whatever Joe Biden says. It's certainly not those 212 Democrats who keep nominating Hakeem Jeffries and seeing each and every one of them vote for Hakeem Jeffries can't be those people. It can't be those people who push the vaccine and masks and lockdowns and school closures and the Ukraine war and open borders and tried to cover up things like inflation and gas prices and problems with the airports all in service of the regime. There's no way those people could ever be part of a cult. They also definitely couldn't be corrupt or compromised. But still, the TV screams at us. Don't you understand, cult members? You are hurting your cult leader by not going along with what he says. Because Donald Trump has endorsed Kevin McCarthy. He has always endorsed Kevin McCarthy. It has been Kevin McCarthy the whole time. Donald Trump has put out statements over the last few days indicating that he still supports McCarthy and that he is happy that we are progressing towards some sort of deal. Now, Donald Trump supporting Kevin McCarthy probably means that Donald Trump and Kevin McCarthy have come to some sort of understanding. They have made a deal so McCarthy can get Trump's support and Trump's endorsement. And Trump might have been willing to go ahead and do that, knowing full well that that doesn't make everyone else just simply go along with it. The funny thing is, Kevin McCarthy could have had more Republicans in the House if he hadn't gone up specifically against MAGA candidates in the primaries and failed to support them in the general election. Unless, of course, in the instance of people like J.R. Majewski and others, they were told they had to accept RNC GOP establishment staff members and advisors and then do whatever they say. Kevin McCarthy could have had a lot more votes to work with 
and he didn't get that done either. Kevin McCarthy hasn't earned anything. And if there's something going on behind the scenes that none of us know about, well, that's just fine. Maybe Trump does have an amazing reason for why he has endorsed Kevin McCarthy. But it seems to me like he said, okay, I'll endorse you. Not sure that's going to work for you, but this is our deal. I'm holding up my end of the bargain and I will continue to hold up my end of the bargain. You have to get the ball across the goal line yourself. I've said many times at this point, if you want someone other than Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker, Donald Trump endorsing Kevin McCarthy allows Trump to be hands off about the whole thing. It might actually present the best opportunity to get someone besides Kevin McCarthy as the speaker, because the pushback, the blowback from the media and from the establishment, etc., will not be directed at Donald Trump. This will not be a thing about Donald Trump is preventing us from moving forward. Donald Trump continues to back Kevin McCarthy, which removes that narrative. But leave it to the mainstream media to tell us that we have to get in line because otherwise Donald Trump will be hurt. This is from last evening. This is from CNN.com, Julian Zelizer, a CNN political analyst who also happens to be a professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University, the very august Princeton University. I'm just going to use that word all the time now because Jim Clyburn said it three times in his nomination speech for Hakeem Jeffries. The headline is Kevin McCarthy's fiasco is a blow to Donald Trump. Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy is locked in a power struggle in the bid to become House Speaker, a position he has long strived for and previously failed to secure in 2015. The conservative cabal of 20 or so representatives, most of them election denying Trump loyalists, withheld their votes for McCarthy over repeated rounds of voting, extracting major concessions from the Republican representative that whittled away at the institutional power of the speakership. Now, honestly, right there, that alone, this admission from Julian Zelizer is a win for MAGA and for Donald Trump. He has already told us, hey, Trump won this one. But still, this is all a blow to Donald Trump. You get it? You get the real world version and you get the false reality inversion. Getting the rules changed benefits Trump, benefits MAGA. Reducing the institutional power of the speakership is a win for all of America. Representative Matt Rosendale from Montana, who has made quite a name for himself over these last few days and seems like an absolutely wonderful guy. He mentioned that one of the goals was to make it so all the members of Congress were actually equal and that they could go to Washington, D.C. and do the job the people are sending them there to do. And that, he has said, includes Democrats as well. The way the House has been running, all the power is at the top with the leadership, all the power is in the Rules Committee, and bills come to the floor and are just supposed to be voted on and passed. And that's that. And the leadership of both sides selects which members will vote for which things. They need X many members. We've seen it happen plenty of times in the Senate, including on the omnibus bill a week or so ago. Mitch McConnell needs however many Republicans he's going to get them. In fact, on that one, he got even more so that they could all go on TV and say, well, we got to have that Ukraine thing. We can't shut down the government. That would be terrible for everybody. 
but it's not terrible for everybody. It's only terrible for government workers. And it's terrible for corrupt politicians who need to continue to serve their global regime masters and do whatever they're told. Cutting off the printing machine does not make those people happy. But we do not need an ultimately powerful speakership. And you heard Matt Gates mention that as well. Maybe it'll make the speaker more of a ceremonial role. What was surprising to many observers was how little sway former President Donald Trump seemed to have in this Republican infighting. On Wednesday, Trump took to Truth Social and warned the GOP to, quote, not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. Kevin McCarthy will do a good job and maybe even a great job. Just watch, end quote. Trump would offer more words of wisdom in another post. Vote for Kevin. Close the deal. Take the victory. Republican Representative Matt Gates, one of the holdouts against McCarthy, responded to the former president's endorsement on Wednesday with a statement that seemed to mock Trump's own rhetoric. Sad, Gates said. This changes neither my view of McCarthy nor Trump nor my vote. But to TV people and Julian Zelizer, ooh, this is drama. He's mocking Trump. Really? Matt Gates is mocking Trump? Matt Gates nominated Trump for speaker yesterday and voted for him in multiple rounds. And Donald Trump was having fun with the idea. He was posting memes that showed him in Nancy Pelosi's chair at the State of the Union next to Kamala Harris with the fake president Joe Biden in front. And Trump was making a very silly face and it was a very funny meme. And it's very funny that Trump shared it. Donald Trump, unlike everyone in the entire image conscious establishment, actually has a sense of humor. Even former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, a founding father of the politics of smash mouth partisan warfare, implored the GOP to elect McCarthy. It's him or chaos. It's an ironic statement coming from a legislator renowned for reveling in such chaos and a sign of how extreme parts of the GOP have become. And if I haven't made it clear enough on social media, I am 100% pro chaos when it comes to this stuff. The more chaotic, the better. The weirder the result, the better. Again, anything that pushes the awakening forward is good. Anything that hinders the awakening is bad. Let's get crazy. After more than 10 votes, the Republican obstructionists still didn't budge. Again, this is last night. So now we're through 13 rounds and there's been some budging, but not enough to change the final outcome. And while Gates cast a vote for Trump in the seventh and eighth round and nominated him on the 11th, the prolonged deadlock was yet another sign that the former president's power has diminished at a time when the 2024 presidential campaign is expected to ramp up. Does anyone believe that Donald Trump's power has diminished? Donald Trump says he wants Kevin McCarthy. That is his public position. Does Donald Trump want Kevin McCarthy? I personally kind of doubt it. Some of my friends who are brilliant people think the opposite. They think Trump has a plan. Let's trust Trump and follow his plan. And I say just fine. If that's how things shake out and it aligns with Trump's plan, then I hope that he does have a grand plan about how things are going to go under Kevin McCarthy. And I look forward to seeing how that happens. Until then, I'm going to think for myself. I don't want any of the establishment to have power. 
So I'm happy with the chaos and I'm happy with anything that produces an outcome other than Kevin McCarthy. If it is McCarthy, then we live with it. We play the hand we were dealt and we look toward the best outcome and push for that. We're going to have new information. We're going to have a new lay of the land, a new situation. And when we have a new situation, we have to react to that new situation in a measured and thoughtful way. So that's what's going to happen. Do we always get everything we want? No, we don't. When we don't get something we want, we adjust to the new situation and continue moving forward. So I'm just fine with however this plays out. But to think that Trump is being diminished by this when no one, not even his keenest observers on our side, know if his endorsement of Kevin McCarthy is for optical reasons or maybe he's playing it straight up for a more pragmatic purpose. We don't know. There's no way in the world Julian Zelizer knows. In certain respects, Trump is facing a dilemma many other presidents and legislative leaders have encountered before. These leaders shift the political playing field and inspire a younger generation of politicians to do what they did. Former Speaker John Boehner, himself part of the Gingrich generation of Republicans that rocked Washington by abandoning old norms of governance and promoting a much more aggressive version of partisanship, repeatedly clashed with the Tea Party legislators he opened the doors of power to. And it's funny how they lay that out, isn't it? The Tea Party enters office after a substantial wave election and Julian Zelizer is upset that they rocked the boat. They kind of messed things up for the establishment. And of course, for everybody's hero, Barack Hussein Obama, so they don't like it very much. How could he open the doors of power to these people just because they got elected to participate in the congressional process? Over time, the acolytes demand more and become more extreme than the leader who originally welcomed them into the fold. This is what led Boehner to later blast Republicans like Jim Jordan as, quote, legislative terrorists. He had become the establishment. They were the rebels. And yeah, John Boehner was absolutely the establishment, but not to Julian Zelizer because John Boehner is a Republican and Republicans are always rebels. Republicans are always terrorists and infidels and insurgents. The framing here is nuts. A significant part of Trump's influence was his nihilistic attitude of political combat. He helped to spur a younger, more extreme cohort to step up and demand power. It seems these burn down the house conservatives will do almost anything in pursuit of victory and believe like Trump that chaos, instability, and hyper-divisiveness have great political value. And they're right. Those things do have great political value. Just take it from the establishment who makes our entire country exist in a state of hyper-divisiveness. That's why they talk about race all the time, including the establishment Republicans. That's why they support things like lockdowns and masks and vaccine mandates and why they continue to let millions and millions of illegal aliens flood into our country, knowing that the people can't stand it. And now some of these Trump loyalists might be close to concluding that they no longer need him, or at the very least, they no longer need to follow his every move. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point. Isn't it odd that they take the most obvious principles and then make them sound like they are completely alien 
to any normal process. It is not an extreme position to represent your constituents, even if the leader of your party has a different idea about how things should be done. We see that in the group of 20 or so members of Congress who are now refusing to support McCarthy. They put their foot down and seem to be happy holding out despite major concessions from McCarthy. Yesterday, Representative Ralph Norman, and again, this is from last night, so he's talking about Wednesday, a Republican from South Carolina revealed just how far they were willing to go, demanding that McCarthy, quote, shut down the government rather than raise the debt ceiling, end quote, which would send the nation into financial default. They always say that over and over and over again. They've been doing it for over a decade, trying to scare the hell out of the American public about government shutdowns. That's not that bad. And by the way, our inflation is already out of control. We are about to have a massive fiscal crisis. It's strange that these people pretend to worry about a financial default while we are like, what, $32 trillion in debt? In 2011, Tea Party Republicans held the debt ceiling hostage to extract spending cuts from President Barack Obama. This time, Republicans like Norman are going even further by refusing to even negotiate, calling it a non-negotiable. Ha, huh, correct. That's what happens when you pass a $1.7 trillion, but really closer to like $2.5 omnibus spending bill in the lame duck session after the election has the majority in Congress flipping parties. Lame duck members passed a massive spending bill that is supposed to control government spending for the first eight months or nine months of this year. What comes of this Ouroboros of extremism? God, Ouroboros. That's how you write at Princeton, don't you see? And that's like the symbol of a snake or a dragon uh, eating its own tail. So the Ouroboros of extremism. More gridlock, division, and partisanship corroding our democratic process. Hey, here's what corrodes our democratic process. Stolen elections to put illegitimate congressmen in place in Congress and then taking the power away from the 435 of them and centralizing it at the top where all of the members are basically just directed on what they have to do. Once the members realize, hey, we don't really have equal power in this body. I don't really have any power. I'm not able to get anything done here. How can I get things done? Well, the way you get things done in the Congress, the way it has stood for quite a while, maybe forever, certainly for most of our lifetimes, is you do what you're told. And if you behave, well, then maybe you can have a little more power. And if you continue to do what you're told and behave and continue to serve the needs of your masters, then maybe you can get more power. And eventually, maybe you might become equal to some other people. You're probably not going to get all the way to the top and have enough power to actually do the things you were sent to Congress to do. But if you behave, you might have a little more power than you do now. And that's how you preserve a democratic process. While Trump's standing appears to have weakened, there is, of course, still plenty of time for him to turn things around. Oh, you always got to couch it. That's what they teach you in Princeton. 
make a totally ridiculous false argument, but include in the conclusion to your argument that your entire thesis might be wrong and you're simply guessing. He's already changed the landscape of American politics. As we now see in the contentious vote for House Speaker, Trump has accelerated the radicalization of the GOP, some members of whom are now going rogue, hell-bent on playing by their own rules and extracting extreme concessions. Even if it comes at the cost of the party and the ability of government to function. Oh, the horror. What even is the Republican Party at this point? It is mostly the same as establishment Democrats, except the people with the little R's next to their name say things about God and about guns and about the Constitution. They just don't actually live up to any of it. They allow the Democrats to continue just rolling over them while they pretend to protest. That's what the party has done. That does not need to be preserved. And in terms of the government functioning, well, how is that going so far? As for Trump, his very influence could end up playing a role in his defeat. Not only is he now unable to sway votes on Capitol Hill, sure. He is likely to confront a number of politicians like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis or former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley, who are capable of presenting a fresher and more polished version of Trumpism without the baggage that comes with Trump. Well, doesn't matter. First off, Nikki Haley has nothing to do with Trumpism. Nikki Haley is the Republican version of Kamala Harris. But to be clear, I'm not saying that she filleted Willie Brown in order to begin her political career. I'm not accusing Nikki Haley of that. I'm just saying in other ways, she is the Republican version of Kamala Harris. Ron DeSantis, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. If the GOP is now full of Trumpian Republicans who have taken his playbook and run with it, then voters might want to choose someone other than Donald Trump to lead them into the next political era. You got that? Voters are going to decide, well, we've got enough Trumpism. I was a Trump fan. And now that we've got enough Trumpism, I'm going to go a different direction. That is what the Princeton professor is proposing to the child brains who look to CNN for political analysis. Now, I am a Trump supporter and I will continue to support Trump. It doesn't matter how many Trumpian Republicans get into office. The more, the merrier, and always Donald Trump, because he is the leader of the America First movement, and he is also the most effective person in that movement. Not everything he does is immediately effective or immediately obvious, but we have more than enough examples now of Donald Trump's ability to take a short-term loss or embarrassment and turn it into a long-term win for America and its people. No one is leaving from that because there are too many Trumpian Republicans in office. That's not what we're tired of winning means. So this evening, I will be live once again with John and Brian. That's Patel Patriot and CanCon. Just Human. Kyle might be joining us. Patrick Gunnels might jump on. We are going to start a few minutes before 10 p.m. Eastern and who knows how late this will go. I am going to say maybe I'm going to try to put up an episode tomorrow, Saturday. 
Not 100% sure. Just going to see how it goes. But I will be back either tomorrow or Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!